0: Hi, everybody. This week at CNA Newsroom, we got some new microphone stands, and while we were shopping for that, we also picked up a four-channel USB mixer interface technology machine. I I don't know exactly what it is, but um, we picked up a new machine that our producers are really excited about, and I messed it up. We just recorded the entirety of this podcast, and before we did, I pressed the wrong microphone button and uh, didn't use the four-channel USB interface mixer soundboard device correctly, and so this is take two for everything that I'm about to say to you. So if I say it with less energy than you might expect, you know. You've reached the CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom.
1: CNA Newsroom.
0: Welcome to CNA Newsroom. Welcome to CNA Newsroom, a podcast that brings you great stories and the Catholic news that matters each week. I'm your host and CNA editor in chief, J.D. Flynn. This week, everywhere we turn, people are talking about an incident that happened at the end of the March for Life last week, an incident involving some students from a Catholic high school in Kentucky and a Native American rights activist. This is one of those things where it seems that everybody has a viewpoint, there's no changing minds, and talking about it leads nowhere but anger and frustration. So this week at CNA Newsroom, We are not talking about that incident. Consider this episode your break from a national conversation that, just like so many others, has become a national argument. Instead, with our brand-new four-channel mixing board audio USB interface, Michelle Arosa talks with David Daleiden. Producer Kate Vike talks with a deacon about the life of the first black Catholic priest in the U.S., Father Augustus Tolton. And a few of us sit down with Father Mike Rapp from the podcast Catholic Stuff You Should Know to talk about Marie Kondo, the founder of the Conmari method of tidying up. Is she a helpful or a hindrance for Catholics? But first, our sponsor. This episode of CNA Newsroom is sponsored by SpiritualDirection.com. What are your questions on the spiritual journey? Visit SpiritualDirection.com for answers. And here's another reason to visit spiritualdirection.com. We want our sponsors to know that when we encourage someone to go to a website, they go to that website because then our sponsors will keep sponsoring us. So visit spiritualdirection.com for answers and visit spiritualdirection.com to help us out. And you won't regret it because it's a cool website with a blog and videos and other things about the spiritual journey. Okay, you guys know the drill. Here's what you need to know this week.
1: Pope Francis is in Panama this week for World Youth Day. The International Catholic Youth Event was established in 1985 by Pope St. John Paul II. This is the first World Youth Day to be held in Central America. Tens of thousands of people protested in Venezuela Wednesday in opposition marches against socialist president Nicolas Maduro in response to ongoing political and economic turmoil. At a march in the capital city, the head of Venezuela's National Assembly declared himself to be interim president, calling Maduro illegitimate. You can find these stories and more on catholicnewsagency.com. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Kate Veich.
0: Way back in 2015, you were probably listening still to Drake's Hotline Bling. You were watching the first season of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And probably most of you saw a bunch of videos released online that showed Planned Parenthood executives talking in medical facilities, in their offices, over lunch, about the transfer for money of fetal body parts to research facilities. Transferring something for money is called selling. They were talking about selling fetal body parts. The videos made a huge splash. They triggered a national conversation, state investigations, and a new understanding of what goes on behind the scenes in the abortion industry. Those videos were made by a guy named David Daleiden. In 2015, he was only 26. But his nonprofit, the Center for Medical Progress, released more than a dozen undercover videos for meetings with top executives at Planned Parenthood. Then David Daleiden started getting sued. And in 2016, he was charged with crimes, one of them a felony, for his undercover journalism. If he was convicted, he could have gone to prison for 22 years. He wasn't convicted. In fact, eventually the charges were dismissed. And now, nearly four years and several lawsuits later, Daleiden just had a major victory in federal court. CNA's Deputy Editor Michelle LaRosa gave Daleiden a call this week. Here's some of their conversation.
2: This is Michelle LaRosa, Deputy Editor-in-Chief with Catholic News Agency. I'm here today with David Daleiden, the founder of the Center for Medical Progress. David, starting in 2015, your organization released a series of videos showing undercover footage of business meetings and conversations with top leadership at Planned Parenthood. Your team posed as employees of a biomedical research company and found that Planned Parenthood's leaders were willing to offer aborted fetal body parts for money, despite the sale of aborted babies' body parts being illegal. This has led to federal investigations of Planned Parenthood and their practices, but it's also led to lawsuits. Planned Parenthood says the videos were deceptively edited and misleading. David, what's the latest?
3: We just got a really big vindication from the Federal Appeals Court last week when the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals um, issued a ruling where they found explicitly that CMP's undercover videos are accurate and authentic and reliable evidence that Planned Parenthood was committing criminal partial birth abortions in order to obtain more marketable body parts. So that's a huge... Um, shot in the arm, it demolishes a lot of the really unjustified retaliation that Planned Parenthood has been bringing against us. It vindicates our work, and it, it frankly vindicates citizen journalism um, all across the country.
2: Can you comment on what you see as the role that citizen journalism needs to be playing in the pro-life movement?
3: There, there's there's really a renaissance in both undercover journalism, and also just in um, in in good old-fashioned news gathering, citizen to citizen, and the democratization of information. And um, and it's not going away, and it's only getting more critical. Um, and so, when it comes to a you know, when it comes to a an, you know, incredibly controversial issues like abortion policy in our country, the the role and the value of citizen journalism is is only heightened. Um, and you see you see that borne out by the by the ruling of the Fifth Circuit Federal Appeals Court last week. Um, in, uh, in, in both vindicating our, our citizen journalism approach with the undercover videos, validating that they, that there's criminal conduct, um, evidence, uh, at Planned Parenthood by the videos and, um and affirming the decision of the state of Texas to uh, to permit Medicaid program and 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 strip taxpayer dollars out of the abortion industry in Texas um, based primarily on, on citizen journalism work and on the revelations of citizen journalism work.
2: One final question for you. Looking back over the last three or four years. Did you have any idea when you first started this work that you would be in the position that you're in today? And do you have any regrets or anything in particular that you've learned from the experience?
3: Um, So first of all, if I could do it, if I could do it over again, I would do it in a heartbeat. Um, I I definitely at this point was not expecting um, w- w- you know was not expecting to be kind of in this position three years later. I, I never dreamed that the that the impact of CMP's undercover videos would be this huge. I mean the the first video that we released on July, uh, 14th 2015, um, got a million views within the first business day and hit two million views by like the next day or two, and then hit three million views by I think the first week or two. Um, you know, we were you know we were hoping for maybe you know maybe a solid month of coverage and attention by by the public and certainly the pro life public to help to move the conversation forward. And we ended up basically being able to be front page news in one form or another for at least three or four months, if not a full six months um the the public discourse on abortion and on how we treat our unborn brothers and sisters in our country has been totally changed by these videos and it's not going back the out of sight out of mind mantra that Planned Parenthood relied on for so many years to avoid scrutiny for their abortion programs is now forever gone I um, certainly didn't expect that, uh, you know, that an aspiring presidential candidate as attorney general in California would have my home raided and, and seize uh, my video recording equipment. And, and so uh, so I wasn't expecting quite all of that, but I knew it was a You know, I, I always sort of knew that, you know, that that big retaliation from Planned Parenthood was a possibility. And so I've, I've gone into it with my eyes open and I'm, I'm ready for that. Um, and the only thing that I'm disappointed about right now is that there's still a ton of really important unreleased footage that has critical revelations for the ongoing Department of Justice investigation for the public's discourse on abortion policy in our country. And those tapes, those tapes need to be seen.
2: Absolutely. And this is very much an ongoing story in terms of that unreleased footage, in terms of the legal battles. You know, one of the key players here now, as you mentioned, announcing a presidential run. So we will certainly be keeping an eye on the developments at Catholic News Agency. And David, thanks so much for joining us today.
3: Thank you so much. You guys talk to you soon.
0: This week, as we commemorated Dr. Martin Luther King Day on Monday, we remembered other civil rights pioneers. One of those pioneers is a priest named Father Augustus Tolton, a runaway slave who became the first black American Catholic priest, a guy who is now on his way to being proclaimed a saint. Our producer, Kate Vike, spoke with Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, who recently published a book called Father Augustus Tolton, the Slave Who Became America's First African American Priest. Here's Kate.
1: Can you give me, this is kind of a tall order, but can you give me Father Augustus Tolton's life in 30 seconds or so? (laughs) What are the things that really set him apart?
4: Well, he was born a slave in uh, Brush Creek, Missouri in 1854, escaped through the Underground Railroad with his mom. His dad died in the Civil War. Um, They went to a Catholic church where they were ejected there by the parishioners. But the priests and the nuns took him and trained him in the faith. Uh, When he was old enough, the priest thought he might uh, be a good candidate for the priesthood. Every seminary in the United States rejected him. Uh, The Vatican took him, trained him to be a priest, and sent him back to the United States, back to Quincy, Illinois, where he grew up uh, after he escaped from slavery. He was a priest there, and this time he was rejected by the other priests. He ended up going to Chicago and um, died ministering to black Catholics in the Chicago area in 1897. So he was only 43 years old when he died. I'm just going to jump
0: in here to say that that biography was actually 52 seconds, but that was still pretty awesome. Good job, Deacon Harold.
1: Um, So I I kind of want to return to one thing you mentioned. Uh, Father Augustus was rejected first by every seminary in the U.S. So he went to a seminary and was ordained in Rome. And then the Vatican sent him back to the U.S. to serve as a parish priest. Why do you think the Vatican made that decision to send him back to the nation that rejected him originally and would likely reject him again?
4: Yeah, it's the uh, the at the time the the Vatican seminary was set up to receive men from countries that did not have seminaries. So, uh, for example, in the continent of Africa, there may be several countries there um, that. The church determined that there were good men there, were candidates for priests, but they had no seminary to train them. So the Vatican set up a seminary to do that. So that's the seminary that he went to, Augustus Tolton. But they sent him back because they said America needs to see black priests. (laughs) That's basically what what they said. I mean, because he thought they were going to send him to another country, you know, to minister as a priest. But they sent him back because, no, 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 your country talks about freedom and liberty. Well, it needs to see... A, a black priest and he needs to practice what it preaches
5: mm-hmm.
4: and so he went back there and he's and he suffered but he did pave the way um and open the door for others to follow him
1: mm-hmm. do you have examples of of him paving the way and other people who were maybe modeling their own vocations or their own faith after after his leadership
4: yeah so um the Josephites had just established themselves in in Baltimore, and the Josephites, their specific charism was to work with the the Black Catholic community, but they didn't have a seminary set up. So one bishop told the young Augustus, told him, "Well, just wait till they set up a seminary, and then you can go there." But I mean that it would take years for them to be able to set up a seminary, and he was already in his in his twenties, you know, pushing thirty. So he didn't want to wait. But when he did come back, and, and obviously many, many Catholics saw him, worshipped with him, you know, looked up to him, and, and that inspired other young men to follow his lead. So that when the seminary finally did open in Baltimore, the, the Josephite seminary, after Augustus his death, many men who had seen him and had been inspired by him or been taught by him, because he was also a catechist, Determine that they may have a vocation and they end up going to seminary as well.
1: And can you comment on how Father Augustus dealt with the racism and prejudice that he experienced, particularly coming from his own peers in the church, from other priests you mentioned? How did that experience affect his Catholic faith?
4: Yeah, so for him, the the racism he experienced was extreme. And the way he responded was in love. He tried to sit down and, and talk with people and reason with them and he thought if they could just see that I am a, a human being and a person just like they are, you know then you know we can overcome this thing and he also realized that what the church teaches is true and good and beautiful despite the people in the church who are all sinners in need of God's mercy and did not live up. To the creeds um, that their own church professes, and so he he recognized that fact, and still he said the church was our mother and our teacher, um, and and it was the church that was going to free us from the slavery of both not just the body but also of the mind, you know. And that, that was a wonderful revelation that he had. And again, it, again, he led by example, and the way he dealt with it. Um, very much in a sense like Martin Luther King, didn't like what was going on, obviously, but did not, but responded with love and with peace rather than with hatred.
1: What do you think that that witness can teach U.S. Catholics today who are maybe struggling with the sins of the church's um, leaders being out in the open?
4: The approach should be, well, first of all, you have to recognize the fact that Um, that even Jesus chose 12 apostles and one was Judas. So there are always going to be Judases in the church and that our focus has to be like Father Augustus Tolton's uh, focus was on the teachings of the church and the the riches and the beauty of those teachings and not so much the people. If one priest uh, abuses a child or, or a seminarian or whoever, that's one too many. But the response is not... I'm going to leave the church. The, the response is what like father told him to recognize the fact there are sinners in the church. And despite those sinners to look past that, to look at what the church is really about. It's about the truth built on the foundation of our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to, to love your enemies, um, to love God and love your neighbors yourself. And to be a witness to that, despite everything else that's going on around us in the church, we need to show people the hands, the heart, the face of Jesus Christ. And that's what Father Augustus Tolton did.
1: What did you discover his story could tell black Catholics
4: today? We are in a, a crisis, a family crisis in, in the black Catholic community. More than 70 percent of um, black children are born out of wedlock. The number is is, is increasing in all communities, but it's particularly high uh, amongst the the black the black community African American community in the United States, and you combine that with the the uh, abortion uh, industry as well, uh, that particularly targets people that they see as as lesser, uh, which of course in Margaret Sanger's ideology would include black people, and so that's why there are a lot of plant Planned Parenthoods in in uh, black and minority neighborhoods. Um, they they're, they're on purpose. Uh, and, and so the thing is, I challenge Black Catholics in here, in this book, to live up to the values that Father Tolton did. We we want to uh, have a sense of pride, in, you know, in, in, in being African-American Catholics with, with our African heritage. You know, and we can wear the clothes and we can call our kids the African names. But those things are meaningless unless we live the values that are associated with. With those clothes and with the names. So, for example, Africans would never kill their own children, no matter how those children came into existence. Uh, And so, we need to rebuild a culture of life and build strong families. You know, at one point there were more black men in jail than there were in college. You know, and that's tragic. You know, and so we need to we need to turn that around by building strong nuclear families with fathers and mothers that are deeply committed to each other, that are that are uh, faith-filled. And that make the priority um, loving uh, their children uh, and building a a strong life together with Jesus Christ as the heart and the center of that married life.
1: We're talking about Father Tolton during a week that we also celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and and you touched on this earlier, but can you tell me a little bit about what you think the connection is between these two men?
4: Well, I think the the uh, obvious connection is the way. That they both responded to the adversity of their times, both of them obviously uh, Augustus Tolton experienced uh slavery and racism associated with that institution, and Martin Luther King with the jim Crow laws and 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 segregation, and all the things that are byproducts of slavery uh and and racism that he dealt with. and I think the the connect the nexus there. Again, is how they both responded to what was going on, not with vitriol and not with um, a misplaced anger. Yes, there was anger, but it wasn't a misplaced anger because they weren't responding back with the same type of anger and vitriol that was uh, exhibited to them. They responded back with the truth and love because they both understood what Jesus taught is the truth that sets you free. And the truth sets you free to be the person who God created and calls you to be.
1: Deacon, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me.
4: No, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Right now uh, on the homepage of the Washington Post, the top three stories are Covington Catholic High School, the government shutdown, and Marie Kondo. And I don't want to talk about Covington Catholic High School anymore for a little while. And I don't want to talk about the government shutdown. So we are going to talk about Marie Kondo. So in the studio with me right now to talk about Marie Kondo, Deputy Editor-in-Chief Michelle LaRosa. Hello. Mary Rezach, feature writer and reporter extraordinaire at CNA. Hi. And friend of the show, Father, and a guy, a priest who lives at my parish. In fact, Father Mike Rapp. Thanks for having me on.
6: Um, God bless you and your mission. Thank you for... um, Spreading the news.
0: Thanks, and Father Mike, you I, you're on a podcast, but I forget the name of it. It's called Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Catholic Stuff You Should Know. So we're thanks for coming on. And the reason why Father Mike is here is because he was he talked to Michelle this week for a story that she wrote about Marie Kondo. Um, and uh, Michelle, what what did you write?
2: I guess if. Anybody doesn't isn't familiar with Marie Kondo at this point. Um, she wrote a book and it sold over three million copies. It's been translated into a bunch of languages. And then they just released a Netflix show with her on it and it's become incredibly popular. And she just goes to different people's houses and helps them tidy up. Um, which might seem really simple, but her method is kind of unique. Um, you basically take all of your belongings and stack them out in front of you and hold them each up one by one and ask yourself, does this spark joy in my life? And if it does, you keep it, and if not, you get rid of it. So um, so I talked in my article with Father Mike because he is a member of the Companions of Christ here in Denver, and they actually have kind of a similar process.
6: Yeah, we, we do an annual purge every uh, Ash Wednesday or around Ash Wednesday. We gather up all our stuff, assess whether or not uh, we need it, we don't have the same language around it, like does this spark joy, but um, it's worth a conversation comparing these, and, and it was a great article. Thank you for writing it. Yeah. I,
0: I'm glad that you're here to have that conversation, and Michelle, I'm glad you wrote the piece, but I am a Marie Kondo skeptic for two reasons. First of all, I'm a hoarder, and I don't like getting rid of things, and uh, second of all- not like. Are you
6: like a- not like, a, like there, not like that there's I mean, like eight cats that like, diagnosed? live in my walls or anything like that. Okay. But I just like to keep things.
0: Or <laughs> only two. Only two cats that live in my walls. Um, and like Marie Kondo says that you should only have 30 books. And I have 30 books like in my passenger seat right now. So I like oh, Okay, to, have, to
2: clarify, that's how many books she has. Well, why doesn't but,
0: she like to read?
2: <laughs> Her point is that if you have a book that you've read – and it's served its purpose, but you know you're not gonna read it again, you really don't need to hang on for it, so make room for something else.
0: That whole, that worldview that like just gets under my skin because it's like having the book is the purpose of the book, the book. No, oh, it's reading the book.
5: Well, and it's just like, you don't know if you're gonna wanna read it again or like, for example, I'm getting married soon, and so I'm inheriting all of my fiance's books that he's kept and he's inheriting all of mine. And we're yeah. actually really excited to read each other's books. So the merging of gotten... two
0: libraries is like one of the most beautiful parts of marriage. It really all right. is. Yeah. Wait a minute. The, though. the two libraries become one. <laughs> I, lo- I love this. I love this stuff. But I think I think
6: books are an exception to the rule. So you guys have a lot of books We have in to your set house. this apart. Yeah. So John Vianney, this famous priest who was this great curé he had lots and lots of time. He didn't worry about stuff. Um, His life was very simple and he gave a lot of time to um, hearing confessions and the sacramental life in his town and he converted everybody. John Vianney had next to nothing. He would eat these rotten potatoes and have like beat up shoes, but he had lots of books. He had kept a very big library and it helped him to prepare homilies well to um, be um, thoughtful throughout life. And um, to be, yeah, always pursuing the truth. And I think, I- at least in our culture, I'll talk about kind of w- w- our rules for the purge. But books are kind of an exception.
0: Unless you've got four copies and you don't need four copies. Sometimes it's nice to have lending copies. But what are your rules? How do you guys decide what to purge and what not to? Because I like keeping stuff.
6: Yeah. yeah I have a lot it's... of sentiments. Our our, our line we've inherited from Companions of Christ in Minnesota is, start with nothing and keep only what you truly need. So we get everything together annually and then um, you simplify. You kind of pick things up along the, on the way of life and throughout the year and have to keep kind of letting go of things. So um, one rule that we use i was talking to michelle about this is uh, have you used it in a year if you haven't you might not use it for the rest of your life Uh, another rule was for as priests try to fit everything that you have in your car so you can get up and move to the next parish to the next mission
0: yeah you you have to be prepared to drop everything if you feel the heat coming for you around the corner (laughs) i don't know if you ever saw the movie heat if you didn't that sounds stupid but is that al Pacino yeah it totally is I mm-hmm. forget
6: it but I I think it was good
2: that's probably <laughs> one that's not going to work quite as well for a layperson or a family right
6: yeah absolutely so the, simplicity has to be lived and in the evangelical Council of poverty that's an invitation from Jesus himself every Christian has to be at least considering um, this invitation in mark 10 for example to the rich young man he had lots of possessions And it kept him from being able to follow Jesus. So Jesus invites him to a radical um, detachment from his things. He says, take everything you have, sell it, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the guy goes away sad because he has many possessions. Um, That sort of absolute poverty is not required of any uh, of Christians. Um, Some live it as a sign and have been called by the Holy Spirit to do so. So you think of somebody like Francis of Assisi or my little missionaries of charity. I'm a chaplain for the missionaries. They don't even have their own clothes, you know, but it gives them an incredible freedom.
0: So wait, they don't have their own habits.
6: They, there are two, two for each sister in the house. And when they need to wash one, they put it in the pile and they take one off the rack. Wow. But they don't, I mean, they're very minimal. And even with books, They are, um, they don't accept um, a lot of donations, and they don't keep a big library of books. Their philosophy, um, because I kind of challenged that at one point with them, but their philosophy is to know know the few books that you have, to set your priorities, and then know those things very well, rather than to have read 100 things and have forgotten all of them, you know. So that's it's cool. a, it's a way of life. Yeah. But that's a radical call from Jesus. Yeah. The you do need things. You need personal property. You know, you need to have a car, you need to have a house, you need to have things to take care of your kids and raise them. You need to have clothes that are presentable and very and varied so that you can be professional in the world. There's lots of things that people need. And the lay people stand in the world and have a mission to the world and probably need a lot more things than Say priests.
0: Okay, so I think all of that is really cool and and beautiful, and I think yeah, I mean, having a detachment to things and having a simplicity, fostering simplicity of life, is important. So my here's my concern about Marie Kondo. Why I'm not a Marie Kondo guy. Um, Her whole thing is like keep the things that spark joy. Michelle, as you said, and um, joy is a fruit of the spirit, right? So um, God speaks, sparks joy, and keep him. Keep him keep God. Keep God. Good. I'm glad. Okay, so well that, that solves that. No, so so God sparks joy. And 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 then she has this whole thing where she I on on the episodes of the show that I've seen, she wants to greet your house and you know, it's like it's almost like she spiritualizes these possessions, you know, like that they spark joy and and this like praying to the house and stuff. And I feel like that's just another kind of like pop spirituality that people use to replace the need for for a Christian life that 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 all of us have. So is there a way to Christianize Marie Kondo or, or not? Because I, I, I'm of the mindset to think it's just like crazy animism. That's not helpful. But I'm also a hoarder.
5: Okay. So I think it de- kind of depends on the person's formation. Like, I don't know. I feel like I'm able to look at Marie Kondo and say, okay, she's praying to the house. That's weird. Not going to do that. Um, she's praying to the clothes. I'm going to pray to God. Um, if, if you really lack formation and religion in your life, then yeah, maybe Marie Kondo... And her animism will dangerously fill a hole that should be filled with something else. But I think a Christian who's well formed and, and understands um, the difference between praying to things and praying to God could learn some practical tidying mm-hmm. up tips from Marie Kondo without really being. I guess I'm surprised to affected. hear
6: that it, um, it can actually be a seductive way, way of thinking to Americans. Totally. I, that's real. Mm-hmm. But I, I, de- I don't deal with a lot of people outside of the church. And a lot of sort of, uh, my my suspicion was, um, but you you have evidence against that. You know that uh, that this is so common sense that things aren't can't respond to you, they can't hear and receive your gratitude, that they're not personal. And the the Eastern religions, I don't know if she's um, yeah, she's like Shinto, Shinto or, something along yeah, vaguely yeah, yeah. Either way, uh, <laughs> they don't have a personal god. There's energies of the world. There's something to, you know, like a a, a common being of everything. You try to unite yourself with, or you try to escape, but you don't have anybody to talk to. Whereas we believe that things are, we believe in providence from a personal god.
0: So, I think more. I think the 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 greater like spiritual concern, the way in which I think it's a greater pop spirituality is. is just the cult of self improvement. Like if there, gosh, if there's a bad religion in America right now, it's self improvement. This is. I was just mm. listening to this awesome um, <laughs> book review of "Girl, Wash Your Face" uh, by by uh, lifestyle guru Rachel H- Hollis, and the review was by my friend Mary, and you can hear it in episode something of CNA Newsroom, and um, she was talking about this too. But like, self improvement is such a perf- such a, an impactful religion in America. And that's like, it's not like, no, I think everyone's going to suddenly start thinking their houses are gods or whatever. But it's like, no, I fulfill my religious sense with this totally narcissistic way of being. And it's like, oh, it's like cleansing, right? Like, oh, my juice cleanse and my, um, and like, look, I obviously could use probably a juice cleanse (coughs) and um, (laughs) to clean my house. But. Those things become like the center of this like self-conception of spirituality that I have. That is ridiculous.
5: Yeah, you you become that's the end goal. Yeah. Like your self-improvement right. becomes the end goal, rather yeah. than it, it's very inward-focused. It is
6: right. not outward.
3: Thinking Process anthropology. All. Yeah, yeah. But
6: what about? I mean, the practice itself.
2: Yeah, I think I think what you're saying is possible, J.D. But I don't think pe- that's necessary. I think it's very much. Um, it's very much possible to just look at the process and say, oh, this is something that's going to help me declutter. Because you're
0: the most rational person that I know.
2: But but there were practical tips in there. It's, she has a whole yeah. section on papers and how, yeah. like, to not have a bunch of papers laying around everywhere that you kind of need to file. Well, and, at me. And, <laughs> like, if you get just rid of some of that clutter, you have more time in your life for other things that are more valuable, you're, which can improve your relationships. It can improve, you know, not that that's – you know becomes the focus or you make a god out of that but i thought it was i thought the book i read the book about a year ago and i thought that had some very good practical tips
6: yeah and like the missionaries for that to use that example again is their their value is really to clear your life so that you can focus on the will of god and charity for other people so it's less and less about me it's not even about being awesome they really if you get to know them they they don't think they're awesome it doesn't matter they don't think about that it's not a self-help sort sure, of sure right diver- you know i so i think that the end plays a real big role yeah
0: and what if self-improvement is like a, i guess is self-improvement just a a hollow or is tidying a, like a hollow um and pale and plastic imitation of the virtue of poverty yeah, and detachment yeah interesting and and are mm. and do we like when if all if if everybody gets like pop spirituality candy does it make it harder to eat, like, the tough vegetables of uh, authentic spiritual life? Mm. And I don't know. I don't eat vegetables metaphysically or otherwise, but uh, that's my thought at least. Here's going to be our Marie Kondo kind of game to end up with. We're going to go around and say what the hardest thing for us to get rid of would be if we had to Marie Kondo something. Mary, you're packing Ooh. up. With, what would be the hardest thing for you to have to get rid of? Um,
5: <laughs> I... I have a stuffed animal that I've had since second grade and it it's on my bed, like currently. What's his name? (laughs) Floppy. Oh. (laughs) I would have a really hard time giving up Floppy. Yeah.
6: Mm. It's hard with the sentimental stuff. It
5: so. is, yeah. I'm I'm a sentimental person, so I'm extremely non-sentimental. I know. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I that's
2: hate. That's, that's actually well, that's why easier so though, right? <laughs> I hate dusting things, and I hate, and I hate it when people give me things that are just supposed to sit there, and then I have to dust around. I guess it'd be hard for me to part with my wedding ring because that has right. Me. Oh yeah. 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 That's about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
6: I would say my coffee drinking habit. Oh. But then there's uh, the stuff part, the material possession? Probably my, um, my Bible. I have a, um, I'm a a biblist, you know,
0: a biblicist. What do you call it? You are one. (laughs) What do you call
6: (laughs) it? I'm a biblicist.
0: (laughs) So what? That means you're You're working on your doctorate right now in Bible. Right. Right. I've got a lot of education
6: in Bible. I'm a specialist, but I've got lots of notes in my, my Bible and, um, I refer to those often. So it would be hard to give away, but I think I might consider it if it, no, it was just an invitation from God.
0: Cool. Well, thanks, guys, so much for being here. Did and you
5: say what you would no. have a hard time giving up?
0: Michelle's answer, wedding ring, was good. Mother other uh. rap's answer, Bible, was good. Um
5: stuff floppy? I don't have a
0: floppy. <laughs> but I have, like, so many things. I honestly, like, I'm just going through, like, boxes and things in my mind right now, boxes and boxes of stuff that I don't need. But I think, like, my kids will play with this old crappy toy that I liked or whatever. So I probably need... More Marie Kondo, more non animist Marie Kondo in my life. So, this has been helpful for me
6: in that way. Yeah, right on.
0: All right. So, you, but you agree that the
6: simplicity is a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We have one more segment for you guys. We couldn't decide where it fit in the podcast, and no surprise, Marie Kondo didn't have any advice for us on how to organize this podcast. But before we go, here's some sounds from last week's March for Life
1: life! Ro-life. Ro-life.
2: Ro-life. Ro-life. life! 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 So can you give me your name again? George Abraham. I'm I'm marching in the band for the for the For Life. That's awesome. And where did you come from? All the way from New Jersey. I'm Alex Sakers from New Orleans,
1: Louisiana, and I especially stand here today for my unborn daughter right now. And I know I'm raising a
5: future for like a She's gonna be marching before she's even born. <laughs> that's incredible. Who are you guys?
1: Oh, that's the Garvey's Grinch. Yep.
2: And have you been to the march before? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So we've stumbled into a bit of a cheer off between two groups: the Crusaders of Life and Catholic University.
0: That is our podcast. This week, we were sponsored by SpiritualDirection.com. What are your questions on the spiritual journey? Head to SpiritualDirection.com for answers. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. I'm your host, J.D. Flynn. Our podcast is produced and edited by Kate Vike and Jonah McKeown with our new four-channel USB interface sound mixing board device. Our executive producer is Kate Vike. Special thanks this week to Father Mike Rapp from Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and David Delighton for taking time to talk with us. And even though I don't want to, in the spirit of our conversation about detachment, the Kanmari method, and Marie Kondo, I'm
4: going to go finish cleaning my desk. Have a good week.